Good morning. So um, this morning we're going to be in the book of Jonah again. And try as I might, I could not find the verse that like called out against God's enemies, who this week is the Washington commanders, right? Um, just a little cowboy humor for you guys. <clears throat> anyway, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 3. And so if you want to turn in your Bible to Jonah, just in case you're having a little issue, it's about three quarters of the way through. So if you open up your Bible to the middle, you'll probably find Psalms or Proverbs or some feedback. Um, and you're going to go to your right just a ways. If you hit the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you've gone too far. If you hit Revelation, just start over. You messed up. Um, so we're going to be in Jonah chapter 3. And so as you're turning there, I'm going to ask, like, how many of you guys, you don't have to raise your hands or anything, but have been watching this series on Amazon, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power? It's really good. And some of you are, would disagree with me, but I don't care. It's really good. Or maybe, like, House of the Dragon, Sinners. And, um... <laughs> we've been watching this like week in and week out and Chris and I, because we're old, just really look forward to Friday night when we can watch TV. And um, we've been watching this show and because I've been watching it, it's, if you haven't seen it, it's just, it's like the movies, The Lord of the Rings and, and The Hobbit, like it's, it's made in the same style and that it's big and it's cinematic and it's just beautiful and expansive. And so of course, because I've been watching a show, I had to go back and rewatch The Hobbit. And then I had to move on to the extended version of The Lord of the Rings. And I know you're thinking, Matt, we really hope you put in some time to do some sermon prep because you wasted all that time watching these movies and shows. We'll find out. But um, I've been watching these, and, and as I watch them, they've really awakened my imagination as I go back and I read through stories like Jonah, because I've been reading through them for a few months. I've been reading through the book of Jonah for a few months. I knew this is where we were heading, and so as I started watching these shows, all of a sudden, I started seeing these big, cinematic, beautiful-looking scenes for what God is doing in the text here. And so as we go forward, I encourage you to kind of awaken your imagination a little bit because the Bible is a book of big happenings. You know, what we might see in movies as special effects, God actually does those types of things and we get to be witness to them as we read texts like this. And so just to give you a little bit of an overview in case you're not caught up, it's about the book of Jonah. So God calls Jonah as a prophet. He says, you're going to go to Nineveh, and you're going to call out against them, right? And Jonah says no and runs the opposite way. He goes down to a city called Joppa. He hops on a boat with some merchants, and he goes, and he's heading towards a city called Tarshish, which is the opposite direction of Nineveh. And so as he's going to, uh, to, Nineveh, or to Tarshish, a storm comes, right? And the sailors get scared, and finally it comes out. This is all due to Jonah's disobedience. And so Jonah instructs them, just throw me overboard. And they try and, and get through the storm, and they're finally like, okay, you've got to go. And so they throw Jonah overboard, and he hits the water, right? And as he comes up out of the water, all of a sudden it's just like a sea of glass, right? The storm has passed, and the sailors freak out and repent, and they make vows to God. And just right in this calm moment, all of a sudden we see this great megalodon or something come up and just swallow Jonah, take him under the water. And that's the end of the first chapter of Jonah. And so we go into chapter two last week with Ricky preaching. Jonah calls out to God and repents. And we see at the end of his prayer that God speaks to the fish and here comes Jonah out on dry land. 
And so that's where we find ourselves at the beginning of chapter three is this, he's just landed in the sand. So from the way it reads, it almost seems like he hasn't even got up yet. Like he's still laying there covered in fish muck and sand and whatever else. And so here we are in chapter three, verses one, we're gonna go through the first like two and a half verses. So into chapter three, or the verse three, it says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So four weeks ago, whenever we started in Jonah, Ricky, before he actually read through the whole book, gave us kind of an overview of the way that Jonah is written. And he said it's written in parallel. So you're going to see a lot of really big similarities between what happens in chapter 1 and chapter 3, just like you're going to see the same theme of chapter 2 and chapter 4. Like, they're going to be very similar. And so because of that, because they're written in parallel, what I'm going to do today as we go through these first three verses is I'm going to compare them back to chapter 1 so that we can see what is going on here, okay? So we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying. We're going to compare that to verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. I realize it doesn't seem like there's a lot going on here, but trust me, there's a, quite a bit for us to unpack. So just as in verse 1 of chapter 1, in chapter 3, we see that God is still the main character of this story in Jonah. He is in control of all of it, and it's all about what God is doing, yet we follow around this side character, Jonah, as we see what God would do. Just as the whole Bible is a story of God and we follow other characters, that's exactly what's still going on in chapter 3. This is a story about what God would do. And so here in this first verse, what we see is this first portion of God's grace towards Jonah. God, in this verse, through the way it's written, we can see that he is restoring Jonah to the office of prophet. Now, some of you might ask yourselves, what is a prophet? And if you're like me and you've read books like Harry Potter or something, you think it's like fancy fortune telling and people get a weird voice or whatever. I don't know. I'm a nerd. But what, the, what biblical prophecy is, is a little bit different. And so I actually looked it up. Uh, I went to the Bible Project and I found this definition and I thought it worked really well. So if you've been wondering what it means for Jonah to be a prophet, biblical prophets are people who encounter God and speak on his behalf. They don't just talk about the future, they also speak about God's perspective on the past and the present. And so if you want to condense that into what a prophet is, a prophet is God's mouthpiece. God speaks to them, they tell the people what it is that God would have of them or have them hear. And so as we saw at the end of chapter two, like Jonah, remember he cried out to God, and we see mercy that God shows Jonah there. Ricky has told us, and I'm pretty sure Rusty said too, that mercy is something that whenever we don't get what we deserve. So Jonah was running away from God's presence, and he gets thrown into this raging, storming sea, right, and drug under by a fish. So what you deserve in that situation, by all accounts, is death, right? That's what is coming your way if ever you're in that situation. You should probably just except that's probably death coming towards you. But what we see is that God being loving and merciful 
and hearing Jonah's cry, he gets spit up on shore, right? And you might ask yourself, if, was he dead during that time? Was he alive? And I'll just note that the Bible doesn't tell us what happened to that. All we know is that whenever, like I said, he hits the sand covered in whatever he's covered in, he is alive and breathing, and the rest has, like, whether he was alive or dead underwater, it doesn't really change the story at all. So we see that God shows him mercy by delivering him alive to the shore. But we see this grace in God giving him something that he doesn't deserve. And he does that by restoring Jonah to this position of prophet. And I know you're wondering, Matt, that was a really short verse. How did you get there? The way that verse starts out is exactly the way verse 1 of chapter 1 starts out. And it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The phrasing there that we see is the exact same phrasing that you're going to find in most every book of prophecy in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, I, I wrote down a list. And so what we see is in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 1, you need to write these down real quick because I'm going to go through them. I'm paraphrasing, but you'll find this phrasing. It says, Jeremiah 1.1, 1, 1, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Ezekiel 1.3, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. Hosea 1.1, 1, 1, the word of the Lord came to Hosea. Joel 1.1, 1, 1, the word of the Lord came to Joel. Micah 1.1, 1, 1, Zephaniah 1.1, 1, 1, Haggai 1.1, 1, 1, Zechariah 1.1. 1, 1. In each of these verses, we see that whenever God speaks to his prophet, it says, the word of the Lord came to whomever. And so we see this very intentionally writ written again in verse 1 of chapter 3, that the word of the Lord is again coming to Jonah. He's saying, I'm restoring you to this office of prophet. Despite your disobedience, despite whatever, you're still going to be my mouthpiece. And so we're going to move on to verse 2 in chapter 3. It says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So again, this is a direct reflection from chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. These verses are very similar, but their small differences are very significant. But before we get there, I want to take just a quick moment, and I, I want to I show Jonah a little bit of my own grace. And I want to help you see Jonah a little bit more as a real person, because he was a real person. And so you already know Jonah hates Nineveh, right? He wants nothing to do with them. He definitely doesn't want God to save them, which is what he is fearing will happen if he goes there and speaks to them, that God will spare them, and that's not what he wants. But I have to wonder if there's a little bit more going on inside Jonah's mind here. Um, Jonah was a Hebrew man. And so as a Hebrew, especially as a young boy, he would have begun learning as a child the Torah. And if you don't know what the Torah is, it's the first five books of the Bible. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he would have been probably memorizing this as a small child. And so I have to wonder if somewhere in the back of his head, some of these words that he knew by heart, by being a Hebrew man, just out of his culture, that these had to ring through his head. And so I'm going to read a verse out of Deuteronomy chapter 18. If you want to turn there with me, keep your finger in Jonah because we're coming back. But it's the second book of the, or the, I'm sorry, it's the fifth book of the Bible. So it's towards the beginning in chapter 18. Verse 18 says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. 
and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know what the word of the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. I have to wonder if those words just were running through Jonah's head and he was thinking, not only does he hate these people and he doesn't want God to spare them, but what if he shows up and he's wrong? What if he shows up and he says something that he wasn't supposed to say and he doesn't want God to spare them? But worse, what if he says, God's going to destroy you if you don't repent and they don't repent and nothing happens? I mean, Jonah's got to feel a little insecure thinking, maybe, I'm kind of a fake. What if I'm wrong? What if, what if I totally misunderstood this? I'm putting my calling as the prophet on the line by going to these people I don't want God to save. And what if I'm wrong? I know that that, that really rings true in my ears um, as somebody who has to stand up and proclaim God's word. What, what if I'm wrong? What if I say this wrong? So if you just keep that in mind as we continue. How many of us, on that same kind of thread, want to know God's will and plan for our life? You know, I want to wake up and I, I want to know, like, as I go to work, Matt, this is what God has for you today. Like, you're going to go and you're going to say this to your coworkers and you're going to act this way and I'm going to be glorified. And then when you get done with work, don't worry, you're going to go home and you're going to be the father that I want you to be because you're going to act this way and you're going to say this thing and you're just going to be God's perfect little instrument because you know what I want from you. And then when we gather together as the body, don't worry, Matt, I'm going to show you what to do there as well. I'm going to just lead you through this so that you're always doing exactly what God wants. It'd be nice, right? A a little scary, but it'd be nice to know exactly what God wants from us. And so this is the second grace that we really see God showing Jonah in this verse, is that Jonah is not left in question of what God's will for him is at this point in the scripture. We see that God, through the way it's written, says, you know what, you're still my mouthpiece. You're still going to go because my will hasn't changed for you. But... Also, my will hasn't changed for Nineveh. You're still going there. Regardless of your disobedience, regardless of you being like trying to run away, my will for you is still that you're going to say what I want you to say, but you're going to say it where I want you to say it. And it says, you're going to tell them the message that I tell you. You know, in verse one of, or I'm sorry, verse two of chapter one, we see that all that it said is, you're going to go call out against them because their, their evilness has come up before me, right? But here we see God saying, you're going to go, but you're going to say what I say. You're going to tell them what I want you to say. You don't have to worry about it. You're going to tell them what I want you to, to tell them. The word of the Lord is a powerful thing. We're going to go to chat to Joel real quick. So again, keep your hand in Jonah. Joel is two books to your left. So if you want to flip there with me, we're going to be in chapter two. Joel again is another prophet. And there's this verse that it's speaking of God, the way God, whenever God speaks, what happens. 
and I just feel like this is very powerful. So again, we're gonna put on those cinematic goggles like Lord of the Rings style here. All right, here we go. In verse um, 11 of chapter two in Joel, it says, the Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? The Lord speaks, the Lord mutters, he, he just whispers. And what does it say? It says, that day is great. That day is awesome. Who can endure it? Because whenever it's God's word being proclaimed, it is mighty. And so that's what Jonah has going for him at this point is he's going to be saying what God says to say, what grace God has shown him. Somebody who has been so disobedient, just as I have been disobedient, and not to be mean, but just as you have also been disobedient, God shows us such amazing grace. So back in Jonah 3, we're going to go on to verse 3. It says, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So we finally get to see Jonah obey, right? He, he's been, you know, a fool, right? And that's kind of been my overview since I started reading Jonah. Like I start reading it and I'm like, man, God picks some morons to do his work. And then I get asked to speak. <laughs> but, you know, we see this over and over again. God willing, if we ever get to go through a book like Exodus, and we see God drawing out the Israelites, and he says, you're my people, and I'm going to take care of you. And we see all the ways that God has just shown provision to the Israelites. You will again will think, man, these people are just foolish. God picks foolish people. And yet, as I read Jonah more and more, I start to realize, oh man, that's me. <laughs> I see so much of Jonah's character and faults in myself. So we know that he's going to go. We see that he finally obeys God, even in reluctance. I mean, I'm not giving you any spoilers. We've already read through the book. We know that whenever he gets to Nineveh, he's still kind of being a fool. But we're going to compare this one more time, verse 3 in chapter 3 to verse 1 in chapter, or verse 3 in chapter 1. It says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So like I said, I see that Jonah's very foolish. But the more and more I read it, I see myself in Jonah. It says that he was running away from the presence of God. The writer took time to write that twice within that verse. That what he, wasn't, he wasn't just trying to get away from his enemies that he didn't want God to save. He was trying to get away from God himself, foolishly. I'm going to be a little transparent and tell you that the reason I feel so much like Jonah is because this is me. This was, this was definitely me two years ago, uh, before many of you knew me. Um, I felt this way. I knew who God loved, and I did not love those people. And by those people, I'm saying you. I was an associate pastor in another church, and I fell out of love with God's people. So much so that I stopped going to church completely, and I did not have any intentions of returning. <clears throat> I know in my heart that it was only a little bit of time left. Now, in hindsight, I can see this before 
I started not just running away from what God had called me to do and the people that he loved, but from God himself. I know that that was what I was destined to do. I was bitter, I was angry, I was resentful. I just didn't want it. And yet by God's grace, here we are. The question that should be running to your mind as we, we finish up through these three verses, two and a half verses, is was the running of Jonah outside of God's will? And is this like a restart, like a, a take two, if you will, for the book of Jonah? The answer to that question is absolutely not. Absolutely not. We can see God's sovereign hand over all of this. Remember Ricky read at the beginning that God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. We can see God orchestrating this whole beautiful picture throughout the book of Jonah, just as God orchestrates the events throughout the entire scripture, correct? We see that he appoints the storm, right? He knew from the beginning that Jonah was going to be a runner, all right? And so from the beginning of time, he appoints this man to be a prophet, who will be a runner? And in his running, we see that God appoints a storm. And he doesn't only appoint a storm, he stops the storm. And then, as Jonah's in the water, we see that also from the foundation of the world, God knew there would be this fish that would need to be large enough to draw a man under the water, transport him from wherever he is in the sea back to dry land, and then at the right moment, just get a little indigestion and bleh, here comes Jonah, right? I got to stop making that noise. I learned that from the Garzones, just so you know. <clears throat> so, how is this not a restart? In God's sovereignty, we can see here that although God's heart is for Nineveh, those are the people that we see him drawing out. Knowing that Jonah would be a runner, God's heart was also for the small ship right? Those people were not outside of God's will. We see that God, despite Jonah's disobedience, is still drawing people to him. In spite of Jonah's disobedience, including Jonah's disobedience, is God's will being performed because God is sovereign over all of this. So God was always in control, and his will was accomplished regardless of Jonah. Chapter 3 is not a restart for God's will. Chapter three is Jonah's chance to restart. So we see that God always knew that Jonah would be a runner. What did God know about you? Because I'm sure you're just like me in that in one way or another, you've also been a runner. Whatever calling it is that you feel like God may have placed on your life, it's so easy to be like, mm, not today, God. I know you want me to speak to these people at work, or I know you want me to love my wife or my spouse this way. I, I know you want me to be a good dad. I know you want me to talk to this man on the street that's crazy, whatever the case is. And yet, we're like, what if I'm a fake? Just like Jonah must have thought. Or even worse, you're just like, I'm, no, I'm out. I'm going this other direction. We see God's sovereign hand over all this in such a way, it begs the question, how would God leave us alone to our calling any more than he left Jonah alone in his calling? As we do here at Redeemer, 
we like to take wherever we're at in scripture and we like to draw it back to the gospel. Because we know, because we're here and we can see it in hindsight, that the entirety of scripture is God drawing out his people, calling to himself those that he would have, and the gospel is how he reconciles us to himself. And so we can see that even in a book like Jonah, in these, these, this short little passage, that there is gospel truth here. You've heard this verse before and since we've been reading Jonah, and you will probably hear it again. In the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 40 and 41, Jesus is talking. He says, For just as Jonah was there was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And what we're hearing Jesus say there is, I'm the greater Jonah. I'm the greater Jonah. And that sounds a little odd, but as we, like I said, as God willing, we're able to move through the entirety of Scripture here at Redeemer, we're going to see this repeated a lot. If we're in Genesis, you're going to hear how Jesus is the greater Adam. Jesus was the greater Moses. He was the greater Noah or Abraham. He was the greater David. And just as Jesus is the greater all those people, he's the greater Jonah. And so where Jonah was flawed and he faltered, Jesus, being fully God and fully man, was obedience perfected. And it's good news. Philippians 2, 5 through 10 says, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the greater Jonah, just as Jesus is the greater Matt. Because I have faltered, I am flawed, and yet Jesus has been perfect obedience to himself, God the Father, right, in my place. You are in the same boat as I am, in that you've also faltered, you're also flawed, and yet Jesus has come and lived a perfect life and died a death he doesn't deserve on your behalf, being the perfect to you as well. And so, Ben, I'm going to go ahead and ask you if you want to come back up. If you're in this place and you're not in Christ, um, I'm leaving you without excuse here, and I apologize for that. But Jesus is still in the, in the position of drawing out his people. And by hearing this, you're hearing God's word drawing you out. And so how do we do that? How, how, do, we, how do we accept that this man who was God came and died for us and, and lived a life we couldn't live? How do we, how do we accept that? 
And we do that by repenting of our sin, by, by turning away from, from our wickedness and, and throwing all of our everything on Jesus. And if you're in this place and you are in Christ, I have really good news for you. The gospel is exactly the same for you. It doesn't change that I still need a perfect savior for my trespasses, my iniquities, my sins, my shortcomings. And so daily I'm able to just be renewed in knowing that whatever I screw up today or tomorrow or 10 years ago or when I'm 90, that all that was taken to the cross and that I am redeemed in Jesus. So if you need to talk to somebody, I'm going to be standing right back there kind of by the coffee. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk to you through this. But let's pray.